You see, when you're not pursuing your goal, you are literally committing spiritual suicide. When you have some goal out here that you're stretching for and reaching for, that takes you out of your comfort zone, you'll find out some talents and abilities you have that you didn't know you have. When the messenger of misery visits you, what are you going to do? What will keep you in the game? Welcome back, Alex. Lovely to have you on for number two with Coach Alex. I've decided to name it Coach Alex. No, thanks. It's great to be here again. He's committed hard to uh, the podcast. He's bought himself a new mic. I have. Oh. I thought, you know, I'd like to improve the sound quality here. So I thought I sounded really nasally and I thought that cheap £20 mic just didn't quite cut it. <laughs> Harry, what have you purchased yeah. for the podcast? Uh, I did purchase a microphone two years ago, which I've used once. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to say I actually I did buy a CX bike mainly from your like peer pressure from you and Seb. But also True. that was for content for the pod so that when I crash on that, we'll yeah. have another episode filled with content. So I would content. say I've spent at least, yeah, £300 at least on pod content. I yeah. have got a new idea for <laughs> pod content and that is... Um, joining up to the um sussex track league and all buying track bikes how do you feel about that oh so that we all crash we all get like fancy planet x track bikes fancy planet x obviously (laughs) an oxymoron but we get track bikes you should try you should do the track bike challenge and try to buy and build the cheapest track bike possible and then do some sort of points-based system for the events of you know performance versus you know yeah. content on the bikes alex it sounds uh, like you're invested yeah. in this as well welcome welcome to well, the club. i i can be the overseer i'm, I'm not suggesting yeah. i get involved but i will quite happily you know, chaperone this you know, all right to make sure we're all playing fair i, I think there'd, have, there'd <laughs> have to be a caveat that it would have to be like you can't go too old like it's got to be like a post 2000s one so you can't just get some like horrendous 80s bike it's got to have some sort of british engineering standard shall we say yeah all right, let's look into that then, and we'll aim. Hopefully, they'll do some track leagues at uh, Preston Park. We've got to get accredited. So we've got to pass the test first. So more exams, Harry. I'm afraid. Oh God! Oh, no. I've done a taster session at Lee Valley. Is that not enough? I don't think that quite cuts the mustard. I'm afraid. I've watched the Olympics once. Can I get in? Did you enter on the line? Yeah. <laughs> Right, Alex. So I think Seb is going to be asking some of the first questions to you. So uh, take it away, please, then, Sebastian. So at the moment, obviously, apart from track racing, there's not <laughs> much racing going on at the moment. So if, if people are sort of interested in getting ready for racing and obviously getting their fix other ways, what sort of training should they be doing without racing? Well, as, as most of these questions, you'll probably get an idea what it will allude to. Is it probably depends. It ultimately depends on your training background. End of podcast. Depends on the tra- type. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It depends. Cool. Um, so for next week's episode... <laughs> More track it depends bikes. On, it depends on lots of things. Obviously, we know that TTs are coming back far sooner. So this is the perfect time to really dial in that position. Get that time spent in your time trial position as well. So you are getting comfortable. Become 
absolutely at one with your bike hopefully we are waiting for an announcement from british cycling i believe which should hopefully give us a clear idea when road racing should start but ultimately cycling is still an aerobic sport and obviously as we are moving closer towards our kind of more specific stuff that's when your racing might get a bit more specific but simple things if you're still unsure what to do simple things like, like spending more time in that race position so spending more time on the drops kind of then getting towards kind of still pushing up that threshold really because you can spend a lot of time working on threshold through a variety of different means kind of over unders really kind of pushing out that tempo work because it shouldn't take a massive amount of time to bring on that speed work you know consider it as you know a cake and actually you can make a good tall meaty cake or probably not meaty but unless you're into <laughs> that sort of unless you're into that sort of yeah. cake you don't don't enter bake off but, you know everyone's often in a rush um for that fun stuff for that exciting sessions where it's speed it's fast it makes us feel good but actually cycling as i've said many times it is an aerobic sport so we have to spend that quality time building and driving it up and actually the longer you kind of help build that kind of aerobic threshold up the more kind of speed work that you can take on and you'll be able to continuously respond from it in a variety of different blocks and periodization so actually if the race season does you know start towards april may it may in fact then elongate towards kind of november so you still want to be be able to perform in that you won't you don't want to rush it and kind of feel like absolute death and burnt out by july you know when you've mentally fatigued you've done so much intensity you've done every single zwift racely that you can do possibly you know, spend that time building that threshold up, maybe make it a little bit more specific, getting used to your race position. So getting on the drops, you know, those, those simple things, you know, as the weather's getting a bit nicer, it might be a nice time to kind of get your race kit out as well. So your nice wheels, get used to those again a little bit. Again, that is a bit personal choice. I mean, you know, if you're a bit like me, I do like the sound of my deep sections when they come out. I have, I have literally just about to put them on for this coming weekend but hopefully the weather does change nice so again it's just doing lots of little things just to keep things a little bit more interesting so again spending time in that race position is key because most of us you know will spend time on the tops and the hoods we won't really get into that tucked arrow road position we won't get onto the drops so you know something that can even help entertain your efforts if you're kind of doing you know your long sweet spot based stuff you know you might have a you know two minutes on the drops a minute on the tops you know just vary up a little bit more and just kind of have a good idea of when you think your races will come in and then kind of plan backwards as there. So that should give you a good idea rather than kind of just panic training now thinking, okay, racing is going to come in. That's almost the worst thing you can do is you can just throw all that hard work out. You just stick, you know, three, four, five weeks of high intensity. You realize race has not come and kind of performance starts to plateau a little bit and you're like, oh, whereas actually you keep building racing in. You should have a good three to six weeks knowing roughly when racing will come in a bit more. So then you can plan your training appropriately, really. The getting time on your proper bike is a really good point, I think, because I went out on the weekend to do some efforts outdoors on my nice road bike. Um, I say nice, but compared because I've been doing them on my cross bike and trying to keep on the power on a road bike is so much harder than on a cross bike because you just don't have that resistance. I would pedal, it would go really fast. And then because you're going quite fast, you then run out of gear much quicker. Whereas on the cross bike, there's that constant sort of, dragging of the tires and stuff that actually makes it much better for training to stay on that power so uh, yeah it's mm-hmm. sort of getting used to that and like in races and stuff where you think you're putting the wattage down but actually you're going quite easy so obviously this one is definitely not a personal question but let's say <laughs> if your name was seb um <laughs> 
hypothetically <laughs> speaking, yeah. There's a friend I've so, got. <laughs> yeah. He's just lost a front wheel as well. <laughs> um, we've got we've got cross racing's back. For some reason, they're doing early spring cross racing, let's say. Uh, so what's the best thing I can do a week before a shortest race, considering I've done nothing in the run-up? Is it mentally prepare, eat a bit of pasta, a bit of Take skills drugs. practice, some <laughs> panic 10-second intervals? So what is the, yeah, what's the, what's the best thing I can do for myself, hypothetically? Well, the best situation? thing not to do is to panic train and go all in for that week. Because ultimately, you're not going to gain much in a week. So it's kind of it's good to become into it a little bit fresh. Again, that depends on what you've been doing. It sounds like your friend's not been doing too much. So, you know, we don't need to worry about shaving off the fatigue too much a little bit. But, you know, make sure the cross bike's ready. If you've not been on it for a while, get that dialed in. Get, you know, have it, you know, maybe one practice session, just get on and off the bike, maybe a shorter, more intense session just to kind of get used to that race starts, kind of that, you know, 15 seconds on, 15 seconds off, you know, a rest day or two, an activation ride, and then go enjoy the race. You know, ultimately, it's, you know, if it's the first race, it'll kind of be blowing off the cobwebs and enjoying it, really. So not putting too much pressure on yourself. It's the first one. You know, that's what I would say. You're not really going to all of a sudden, you know, increase your threshold by 40 watts, you know, as much as we would love that. Um, and it's a case of just not panic training, you know, absolutely hammering yourself in that week and then ended up in the race feeling like absolute death. You know, you want to enjoy your first race as well. It's going to feel hard. You know, it's the first one. And, you know, like many, we probably haven't raced in nearly a year now. So it's just going in there and having fun. And I guess like with Cross and said proves this time after time that skill is that trumps trumps fitness quite often. And actually you can you can make up quite a few places just by having skills that don't really go away too much. So yeah, getting fresh Fred, your friend's name, uh, to uh practice his skills is a great shout. <laughs> skills, especially in cyclocross, is absolutely massive. So when I was a junior it was it was the junior national champs um so junior national champs was always a selection for the world so selection for the 2012 cedar world champs so it was it was game on and being of a smaller stature uh, they actually placed hurdles which were of difficulty shall we say for someone my height and you know the fact is that i practice a lot of getting on and off the bike but most people still assume that you have to pick the top tube up now me being a bit of a short ass, if I can say that, I picked the down tube up because actually it was further, it wasn't as far for me to reach. And actually I could pick it up much higher and actually make uh, make up time on those hurdles. And, you know, it's little sections actually just not being afraid to stick your foot out, pedal with one foot around the corner as well. On the, te- on the you know, sides, sideways kind of loosey-goosey sections, you can make up a significant amount of time. I mean, just look at the worlds this year on those sand sections. You know, if you could come off and hit that hard and get onto that beach, you could you could make time. Even if it's just a second or two each time, that slowly does drag out. You know, if you can work on your cornering, your technical skill, you know, road, mountain bike, cyclocross, and, you know, you just have a fraction smooth around each corner, especially on the, you know, the continent on European cross courses, there's a lot of corners, and if you can get smoother, quicker through those, you can make a significant amount of time on those. And it does make a, a big difference. And there's nothing more satisfying than going into a corner and sticking two meters to that person that's on your wheel every single time. I, I'm always yeah. the person that Seb does that to. So. <laughs> yeah. no, it's like when or- I got training with my partner, she's quick downhill. She's, she's much quicker than I am. And just trying to hold on to her wheel, it's like... It's... You know, but you know, the only way I'll get faster downhill is following her wheel. Yeah. I wish I had much, you know, 
her skills, but you know. <laughs> you keep keep working on it, you get there. She's got no fear. I wish I had no fear like that. Yeah, the fear. I had a child and the fear just the day after you have the fear, that's it. <laughs> Driving, doing stupid stuff, you suddenly realise that it's not just you you have to worry about. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what point it comes in. I used to, you know, as a youth, you know, under 18, whatever, I'd jump off anything, you know, any sketchy jump, you know, fine, fine. And as soon as it kind of get into more to uh, early mid 20s, you know, jumping off stuff didn't seem to have that power when you've, you know, you've had to put people on stretches, back of ambulances, you've seen people knock themselves out and go, is that really worth two seconds? <laughs> always, always. Always. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's loser on, on those talk. sorts of things. <laughs> yeah, I've I've sort of found like in my sort of mid twenties, I've been able to rationalise them more, almost like rationalise the fear to be sort of actually think about this. What are the chances of it going wrong? It's it's pretty slim. If you know you know the process, you like almost like the trust of process for training. You trust the process of your technique, and it's like I know I can do this. I've done this in other situations. Then sort of just you're like visualising you doing that little sketchy jump. And um, I think mm. I've become better at it in the last few years than I have done previously. It's almost like counteracts think... that point a bit in a bit in a weird way. Mm. I think the biggest actually mistake people often make is actually when they start to think about the skill they're about to execute, and they think about it too much, and they become far too rigid. You look at you know like Nino Schurter, Matthew Van der Poel, they're coming down the technical sections. They look like poetry. They look super smooth, su- like absolute minimal effort. It's the people that go down there and they've got you know what you call like degrees of freedom. Uh, so you haven't, you know, like take um, like a toddler in football, they will literally just toe poke the ball. You have a professional footballer, they'll curve around, swing around the hips and they'll hit it on the lace part and it will look fantastic. You know, it's the same with mountain biking. We had a, uh, it was Canic Chase, Home Rock Garden. Um, a few mm-hmm. times I'd go around there. I would, I'd do my times table down it. So I wouldn't have to think about doing the skill. I would trust that anything that I react with naturally is my actual technical skill that i have rather than me going i need to put my front wheel here i need to relax here push my weight backwards and the more you think about it i think often sorry my chair is going down (laughs) (laughs) and that's where mistakes happen and you freeze and you just grab a load of brake and all of a sudden you're off the bars rather than just relaxing and off more often than not going faster is actually generally your friend so like, yeah, yeah the, the rock garden at Canex is one of the best places to watch because there's just wheel sized holes ready to eat any little pause, isn't there? The second you maybe hesitate, that's where your wheel is, Seb. Yeah, it's stuck <laughs> in Canex. It's in Birmingham somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need, I need to put in some well, sort of thing about your wheel, otherwise, people aren't going to get that. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't yet. Yeah. Let, let, let me resolve the claim first. <laughs> Oh, come on. <laughs> Did I tell you we've got a sponsor for this podcast? It's Lacquer. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm funding it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Harry, oh, what were yeah. you going to say? No, I was just going to say about kind of Alex, what you said about doing your times tables that I brought that across from so with my motor racing. I found when I was really young that to get rich really concentrate and like you say kind of just rely more on your natural ability just it sounds really stupid but if you just sing a song in your head or just hum a song and mm. if you bring that over to the cycling as well and descending if it's especially if it's technical i think if you, especially you kind of just find that rhythm really easily i think that's what it is it's but that, that, yeah 
it's like that zone of flow where just everything just works in synergy it's like harmony and whatever kind of skill you're executing that you're doing you know you're pinning a set of hairpin bends you know you're going over a set of hurdles and you just get everything absolutely bang on it's when it just becomes natural it's it's when we overthink and try and think about what we have to do because there's so many processes going on up on that our body's trying to adjust to the corners the weight the feeling it's like i used to train on the mountain bike do my efforts with headphones and i realized eventually actually i was getting my technical was not really coming on as much and i was realizing i wasn't being able to hear it or hearing that feel of the trail that the sound that your tires are making under braking or how it's going on so eventually i actually binned off using music while i was training off road so i could actually almost become at one with the bike in the trail um and that definitely rings true i think you know you become you can just process all that information naturally you know more often than not where i think some mountain bikers make mountain bikers often make mistakes within their training is that they focus on single track almost completely separately and you also you need to have the skills obviously but more often than not a single piece of single track or technical kind of area on mountain biking is obviously kind of will have a climb prior to it so you're going to be close to being on your limit and trying to descend on your limit is completely different while doing it fresh and often some of the riders that i would work with and especially when i was my time racing I would have single skill sessions where the idea was literally just to muck around on the bike, try and pull wheelies, manuals, jump off, all sorts of stuff. And that was purely skills. And then we'd actually combine it with um, some technical stuff. So we'd almost do race pace efforts, you know, out the saddle flat out for a minute or two and go into a piece of single track. That When I was back in the Midlands, I had this section where it's called Cardiac Climb. I think I still hold the Strava KOM for the last few years. That is literally my number one Strava segment that i will i would drive back home from from brighton take the turbo trainer complete it come back that would be the only one that i <laughs> i would do you get lots of e-bikers on there as well so it's a constant flagging parade pretty much <laughs> but you, essentially there is, a, <laughs> there is a piece of single track which runs on the left and the right and i had a session where i would go almost flat out of the climb to descend it as as fast as i could as well do three sets recover for you know 10 minutes or so and repeat that two more times and that really brought on my technical skill because actually being able to then relax more on the descents and recover means you can constantly kind of you're wasting less energy it's one of the reasons why i eventually swapped to full suspension because actually it wasn't to be able to descend faster it was for those kind of inclines where it's kind of just you know two three percent where actually being a lighter rider on a hard tail i would get bounced out of the saddle and i'd lose that drive and that momentum and that for full suspension just you know it softened it out and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily allow you to descend quicker i think that comes generally down to the rider but actually allows you to kind of recover better while descending i definitely agree with that on them sort of all the Southern XC courses where like they on face value, they're all pretty tame for a mountain bike course, but I'd say they probably suit uh, uh, a full suspension more than, um, more than most courses. I suppose like mirroring that, if you think about like a world cup scene, you sort of get, um, Oh, what's the French one called? I can't know the French round, but it's basically, uh, it's, that's the one. It's just basically one climb up, one climb down, really traditional, but because yes. it's a big climb, they all have hardtails because it's all about the climb. But you take a course like Nova Mesto, which is quite a mellow course in the woods, but it's just so rooty. It's all about mm-hmm. power climbing where you don't want to lose anything from a route bouncing you off and stuff like that. So they'll always favour a full suspension there where it's perhaps yeah, not Yeah, it's very technical. similar at um, Alberstadt as well. 
Um, that's the one I was thinking of. Yes. Yeah, because I thought Labresse's got a couple of lumps in, and that is quite mm. technical. That was what I did that all back in 2012, 2012, 2013, that was. And that was an eye opener for me on the technical standard because I'd done Hoofalese about a month prior to that. And that was a fantastic course. You know, that in was the Belgian mountains. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, it was, it was it's weird in the atmosphere. It's weird. Yeah. You know, Hoofalese is such a fantastic place. But and then the contrast to Labresse as well, that was a eye opener with technical ability. We had um, Tracy Mosley show us round. And, you know, I thought I was quite good technically, but following these riders down, I was like, damn. It was just, it, you know, because it's World Cup, it's a completely different level. And just seeing them go down, and I think it was where Julian Absalon crashed. As I, you know, not saying we crashed in the same place because you know we're both. <laughs> Did you cause um, it? You know, <laughs> um, but it, you know, it was into a technical bit where I, I spent about ten goes just trying to ride it, and I just, you know, uh, it was just unlike anything I'd ridden before. You know, and it just shows the standard of those courses, and you know, these guys are going incredibly fast on not much travel and that's why you, we're seeing that shift in the xc bikes you know it used to be narrow handlebars tree huggers on the side 1.9 inch tires you know it's seat post um dropper seat post full suspensions 2.25 inch tires you know wide handlebars it's you know it, it's changing as the courses are evolving and progressing as well it's, it's fantastic i think you know it's, it's always evolving the mountain bike side of things I found that with the South Downs way, actually, that we've done it on mountain bikes and we've done it on um, hardtails and stuff. But actually, a full SAS over the course of eight, nine hours would save you so much energy. And even though it's going to be slower and sort of, you know, heavier on the hills and things like that, I think overall it would be much quicker than like the cross bikes and things, even though it's technically just, you know, quite simple, not really technical whatsoever actually just all those little bumps when you're riding along you just feel yourself constantly sort of being bumped out the saddle and if you took away all of those over nine hours that would be absolutely massive i think it it makes a big difference i did um i think it was talk 12 quite a few years ago um 12 hour solo as well um yeah and a hardtail so it wasn't my legs by the end that were destroyed it was my hands my feet my back from friction from standing outside of the saddle because you can't just sit down and descend like you you know you could do a little bit more on a full suspension because obviously you were trying to avoid punctures as well so you're standing up but your feet are rubbing against your shoes every time and you might not notice that on a normal four or five hour ride but you know after 10 hours i can tell you now you will notice that and you know just having the right gloves you know that constant you know death grip on the handlebars because you're trying to pin the descent you know i think that was 11 hours 36 minutes and that was i was broken you know there's a picture of me at the finish line you know because i was i was only i managed to win that one that's the only 12 i've done won it and then i'm not going to do any more <laughs> i mean I, that was I, that race though was that the year where the army guy cheated yes it was um and it, he because basically it's at millie manor so it's basically like multiple figure of eight loops where like it doesn't yes. cross but like they 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 go on the same bit of fire road and go in opposite oh, he directions. Took a shortcut. And he just kept taking shortcuts. <laughs> and like, obviously it's on army land. So he got yeah. absolutely rinsed, but he, did he go on the podium as well? And then it was, yeah, that, that was the on. year before I did it, I think. And yeah, ah, he right. got, I think he, there were, um, military consequences for that action. I'm not, I'm not terribly sure. Cause I think it's also hearsay, but he yeah. Got shot. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't think it was ever proven, <laughs> but it was definitely known that he didn't do as much riding as everyone else. Yeah, because like I was did... doing that as um, a team of four. Um, so we were going out literally flat out, and he was knocking out about a minute faster than we were. Yeah. Which would be, 
If it wasn't his yeah. lap times, they were like one lap was say thirty five minutes, the next was like an hour and twenty. Like they were so inconsistent. <laughs> yeah, because you could go round the back of it and you almost meet the pits again, where you could cut mm. out quite a bit of faff in the woods. And I think they were chopping out bits in there. And obviously, when you, yeah, there was, yeah, maybe just I got lost, lost a lot. <laughs> I lost yeah. a lot. It's a it's a it's a twisty course. So yeah. what what year did you do it sir i've done it a few times but i I know the year alex won it uh my friend max was doing it as well and um Mm -hmm. he was going toe-to-toe with alex quite early on but um he missed the bottle in like the third hour so just ruined his feeding from then on so i had to pull out so he claims but (laughs) it was a hot it was a hot day that day as well it was yeah because i think i'd literally just i think that evening before the race i'd just flown back from york to have a week out there of like warm weather training so it's kind of like oh, nice. oh, that was a shock to the system that yeah was. but it's a weird it's a weird race that one because just it's so flat but it's so bumpy and so mm. it's a like really old school course it's really tight and twisty so you're just always sprinting like you're just always out of the saddle out of every yeah. corner for 12 hours yeah Ooh. <laughs> yeah it's about 11 hours too long <laughs> yeah, that's the only it's the only good race that's a, it's a negative 12 so you don't you you finish at 12 rather than you the race you can go out for another lap so if you don't make it yeah back, it's a short yeah point. it's a short one it's a bit like um brighton big dog where it's a short six hour race so if you time a lap right and you get back at five hours 35 you're free you don't have to do those other 25 minutes yeah so when you're in a pair and the person you're riding with said decides to stop after two laps and you have to ride the rest of it on your own you don't have to ride as much. This sounds like I'm opening up old wounds here. (laughs) It it literally was a wound. (laughs) Oh, that was good though. I hope Big Dog's good. So much magic tape. Well, that was it. Harry, you could do Big Dog this year. I knew you'd say that. I felt that coming. Yeah, brilliant. It's it's a well good course. Mountain bike course, CX. Mountain bike. You do it on your cross bike. You'll be fine. It's Arch one of the it's one of the most fun courses to ride, but not to race. I'd say. It's, I will say the a... pub afterwards is good. <laughs> I'll do it for that then. Okay, deal. <laughs> we we had to get back because Sam's dad broke his collarbone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh God, no. <laughs> yeah. On the what on those two little log drops. <laughs> right. This right year we'll, we'll do a podcast from Big Dog. We'll do a special. That's it. From the winners' podium, next question then, Sam. and from hospital with Harry. <laughs> <laughs> we're all in hospital. We're all in beds, lined up. Yeah, yeah, we're all in hospital, <laughs> but one of us has got a medal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go on, okay. Sam. Next question. So, to Get back on track. Then, yeah that's good that we summarize that panic riding so succinctly i like it so basically what, what alex is saying is everything i've done in the past has been absolutely fine and the best way to do it uh, yeah you're leading absolutely 100 yeah. percent. keep on you're you're a specimen okay second question then um how do you help riders who have other factors in life like family and work and all sorts of other commitments um, what sort of changes do you make to ensure they get the best outcomes? So as a coach, how do you adapt things? And what sort of recommendations would you make for people with these commitments? Yeah, I think that covers quite a lot of our, uh, quite, covers quite a lot of people, really. Um, you know, like most people ultimately that, you know, they've got yeah. lives, they've got <laughs> other things going on. You know, we aren't in that fortunate position where we get to ride our bikes whenever we want, you know, we have other things going on. So, 
and that's kind of one of the advantages of having a coach you know when we kind of start a rider we would do a lifestyle audit and to better understand the rider simply what they are doing at the minute and get a bit of a training history a bit of training review and understand what they have been doing that will then give us a good indication um of where they currently are what they've currently done and then we'll kind of lead to a phone call to discuss kind of a bit more what these time commitments are what they normally do what the work schedule is like what the like kind of life work balance is like and we'll try and come up with a plan that fits absolutely around that individual so it might you know if it's a case of they prefer their early morning training we'll try and keep just training sessions short if that's what they would prefer if they can only get in a couple of hours you know during the week but they've got a lot more free time at the weekend we'll kind of adjust accordingly for that so we'll always ensure that it is bespoke in the aspect that it is based around them completely um and work and according to what we can do in terms of like overload progression ensuring that it all meets kind of their their goals and their targets and we'll we'll kind of sort some short-term long-term medium-term goals for those individuals as well so we can have always something to work towards you know some mini goals whether it's the end of a training block whether it's kind of all more skills based um that they want to improve on whether it's strava time whether it's just general fitness in terms of power numbers that they want to improve on will kind of make it all specific around them so it's it's trying to ensure that it all fits in harmony with each other and that it doesn't contradict what they can't do because ultimately you've got what you want to do what you can do and what you will actually do you know you might say you have two hours spare but does that mean you've got two hours riding or just two hours so you've got include you know getting on the bike faff getting back so maybe you've only got an hour hour and a half this so is it's a just constant by... argument I have with my wife when I say, oh, I've, I'm doing a two-hour ride. She's like, does that include all the faffing, the shower that you have, and then looking at your Strava? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just making sure it all it fits, essentially. You know, it, it sounds quite simple, but there's no point doing something that you can't <laughs> achieve. If you can't achieve that training, then things need to be dialed back, or if, you know, if you've got surplus amount of time then we'll kind of up it so it's always making sure everything fits in synergy with their day-to-day life so ultimately takes out that worry of thinking panicking you know let's say you have a bad day in work over runs you text your coach and say look can we swap days around you know as part of our job yeah no problem we'll, we'll swap sessions around and it takes that worry out rather than going panic oh i have to do it so you get back at work late you know you realize you've got kids to deal with you've got a partner wife girlfriend you know you start neglecting them you know try and do your session you finish it you know end up finishing at i don't know quarter to 11 at night you try and eat as well you get to bed late it's one o'clock you get up the next day tired then that training session the next day is not counterproductive you've got an argument to deal with at home as well or you're in trouble and that can all become too stressful so having a coach allow to hopefully take some of that away for you that planning that uncertainty of when things things go wrong life isn't plain sailing training isn't plain sailing we'll have a plan but the part of having a coach is it's something adaptive you know it changes you know it's like recovery weeks if you know you are starting to feel that fatigue a little bit more then we'll bring that recovery back in a, a week early if you feel like you can still push on then we'll push it out it's always about and that's where the feedback with a coach comes in as well if you sit there and you don't add anything to your training plan you don't talk to your coach that coach won't know they can only know so much from the data and you know as you guys are aware we are in a data-driven sport where we are we can measure almost anything that now we want to but simply kind of linking power, heart rate and feel. And that, you know, I want to know how those efforts felt, how you feel as a ride. How did you think that you, you know, you performed in that session? And that's the detail that having a coach, they can interpret changes in words. Like oh, they might start saying, okay, struggled a little bit or really felt flat. And you see that continuous decline. They can pick that up 
and then adjust things based on the words, simply just the words that you use. And, you know, rather than just having a, you know, where you can buy a plan and go, you know, they won't necessarily um, fully know that, okay, I need to back off because you might, oh, I just need, to, I'm just going to naturally feel like that. Alex, have you got um, athletes and riders that um, have whoop bands and stuff like that? Are you incorporating those new metrics? What, what are your opinions on on those sort of side of science, science so and, I've, and physiology? I've got a couple of views on on those. I'm not going to name any manufacturers. So a couple <laughs> of things we have to look at the research a little bit. So the idea is fantastic, I think, in that it can help give you an indication of what's going on. Whether or not you should completely prescribe your training based on those metrics is another question, probably for another day. But it can give you an idea of how your body's responding. You might not necessarily dictate your training based upon those, but you can take other actions in your day to help improve that. So actually, you know, you start seeing red. Okay, so you start seeing your recovery score below 33%. Rather than going complete rest, you know, which someone might, indicatively do if you come towards the end of you know a block of training you might go okay this is kind of expected so you know then you can have talks with your coach okay what do we need to do here or is it simple things that actually you've not had a good night's sleep you're not eating well you're not hydrating as well so those are then the other factors that you can then start to work on and seeing yourself if they have a big impact so i know if i stay hydrated prior to bed i generally will wake up feeling better again feeling better is different to performing better and we do have to kind of bear in mind all these different metrics and some, but again, on the other side, we can then start to panic. Oh, I'm not feeling good. It's race day. It's not green. And it can almost become a little bit too consuming. So when we have data metrics like that, it's about understanding what they are and how they are as tools. If we dive into it a little bit more and actually understand where that data comes from, there is and I can't quote the research in the minute because it's off the top of my head, but it's understanding where those heart rate variability metrics come from at what time of day. Now, they do take it from different time points based on your sleep, which is meant to have been standardized against um, basically the signals in the brain um, while you're sleeping. I cannot remember. It's late on Monday and I can't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> um, but to try and validate it against there with um brain activity through non-REM and REM, so non-rapid eye movement and rapid eye movement when you go through your different sleep cycles. However, there are some heart rate variability apps which allows you to standardize the time in which they are taken up, so pro you know, as soon as you get up in the morning. And obviously, if you wake up in the middle of the night, pop to loo, it can then impede on your data as well. So then you've got to manually adjust it, and it almost becomes too much faff. And you might have noticed, um, for the guys that have used them, that that can then impact on your recovery score. So it's always... It's using data and inputs with a pinch of salt and understanding for what they are, not taking them as gospel. At the end of the day, nothing can tell you how you feel and how that effort is feeling. If you start to use those in combination, then you can get a good idea of kind of what's going on. And it can be interesting to track as well. But again, in the world of sports science, just because we can doesn't mean we should. And it's about understanding why you are trying to use your, you know, your weight band, whatever kind of tech gizmo that you are using is it actually going to be beneficial to you or you'd be going to come over consumed with data you know it might be a case of just leave your coach to deal with it and then they can take the directions based on that or can it be used to help someone understand more things about recovery that like little simple things like going to a bed hour earlier so i had a rider and it does it does have one and you know they their normal bedtime routine and they realized actually they would just sit for a little bit and watch tv for no real reason so they decided they'll go just go to bed an hour early and that had a big impact on their recovery score it, you know it was a lot more positive 
but necessarily do you need a tracking band to tell you that or can you just get to bed earlier so again it, yeah. <laughs> as my favorite answer to most of this stuff it, it depends and depends whether or not for that athlete is going to be beneficial or not is it going to help the coach kind of prescribe training more informed is it going to help the athlete learn and educate themselves about co- about um recovery so it's it depends it's <laughs> it's an interesting area with the, the realms of technology we currently have at the minute yeah i think it's definitely something that's gonna it's obviously big business and big money in it so where there's money there will be developments and you know apple and garmin and everyone are definitely going to go that sort of di- that direction i think and in that trainer road podcast they were saying actually with their machine learning and artificial intelligence that they're going to incorporate it into those other metrics like steps sleep and then they can correlate that with all the data they've got of all the rides and begin to try and train the machines to understand and make some sort of reasonings about you know if you do a then b happens etc so yeah i think it's definitely interesting what happens it's certainly interesting. It's something we're always aware of what, what is currently on the market, what's currently available to individuals to kind of help performance, because it's always going to be something there. And ultimately, there's no, and this is a quote I think of Alan Cousins off Twitter, you know, there's there's no shortcut. There's no app. There's no hack. Yeah. It's hard work <laughs> over time. Cycling is an aerobic sport, and you have to kind of, you have to give that time commitment to it. And, you know, your goals have to be within that expectation of time that you can deliver and then work towards it. You know, you can't just go, I'm going to have this new, you know, phone app that's going to help me get the absolute best without being able to properly invest in yourself. You know, it's those basics, you know, consistent training and good sleep and recovery. And then, you know, when you are looking at those marginal gains, you know, those other small things, that's when you might want to start looking at technologies and stuff like that. But again, that's, you can have that conversation with your coach, with us to understand how it can best help you. Because ultimately at the end of the day, that's what you are aiming for is to get the absolute best out of yourself for your events. With all the, the boot band and all these extra kind of variables that you can look at, I've seen this thing recently advertised. You, they claim it's used by Yumbo Visma. And is it that Hema, Hema, something like that? And it sits on their arm and measures their blood, like glucose levels in their blood or something. And I don't know, it looks like a massive gimmick. And I can't imagine they're riding with that on their arm enough, like for every stage of a race. But I don't know if you knew any more about it or, or what, really. So they were developed for individuals with diabetes type 1, typically. Um, and it does allow for continuous blood glucose monitoring. Um, CS, continuous, CGM, continuous glucose monitoring. Yeah, is the short, you know, abbreviation for it. So for when you're traveling around and you're diabetic, it's a fantastic tool. It samples every 15 minutes. So there is a, a company um, which is now taken on board to help deliver fueling strategies and glucose based training zones. Um, funny enough, I have just been going through a bit of the research are on this so the idea is it can give you your particular glucose training zone i'm skeptical because it's i could spend an hour on this (laughs) it sounds mental saying glucose based training zones (laughs) so the idea it's meant to give you your optimal glucose zone so essentially if you are between a particular band so it might be between 85 and 95 grams per deciliter that's where you might best perform and obviously you don't want blood glucose to drop because um in stored liver and glycogen you've got about 500 grams worth but it can't tell the difference between um intake 
as well from carbohydrates as well so generally speaking your body has this thing called homeostasis and it will naturally try and keep it within those rounds obviously if blood glucose um, shoots it up insulin comes and helps drop it back down it can be it could help if you were doing your pre-race meal and you wanted to see if there's a big gi spike uh, but equally you could also just do that for standard finger prick samples um, I think the technology seems in its sport and application seems relatively new. I know Lotto, um, you know, Visma, uh, Ineos are on it. You know, they're probably trialing it out on a few things. So I will keep my thoughts quite short on this one. But again, it's one of those things of current science that knows we can through dual source carbohydrates. So kind of multidextrin fructose and a two to one ratio, um, and various other kind of ratios are currently there at the minute. We can take up to about 90 grams of carbohydrates. There is a new research paper which has shown that we can, they, it was ultra runners. They took 144 grams of carbohydrates, um, ingested and they managed to oxidize as well about 105, which is a considerable amount of carbohydrates. That's a whole lot but of if carbs. <laughs> that is a lot of carbs. But if that's the upper limit, and if your athlete is consistent with their fueling, you should naturally be in a glucose kind of level that is stable for you, naturally speaking, because that's your body's job. For someone that's obviously diabetic, then they will take their medical advice from you know their practitioner and such, because obviously that if they it does drop, it can lead to death. So it's quite essential for them. But they have their own app-based stuff uh, which you can use because I, I think the subscriptions are for that company that i mentioned was is quite expensive so i was looking to try and try them but that's a considerable amount of money just to try mm-hmm. and whether or not would that give me informed information that i can alter my training or is it simply going to tell me i didn't eat enough which i could probably tell you myself yeah your body's so it's, quite it's well interesting developed for that <laughs> Yeah, and it's interesting the way these things are trying to go, and it's it's interesting hearing how they are exploring different realms. But again, like I said, you know, with the root bands, it can be a bit too much data driven. And ultimately, in a race, you're not going to be fl- flicking through your phone, going right, what glucose zone am I? Do I need to take my gel? You know, if you're in the break, you know, things are going intense. You know, you might have more of a kind of an eighty gram carb drink in your in your bottle. You will kind of be on the gels a little bit more, trying to get things quickly when you can, when time allows. You know, you might be in a position within the race that you simply can't. Or you've run out. You need to go back to the team car. You need to, or you need to wait for fuel. So it's it's always that balance of is that going to add too much stress for the athlete? I don't know. It might do. You know, sometimes you know if you know that you can take you've trained done some gut training, you can take up to ninety grams an hour. You know, relatively comfortably without any GI issues, then you should then practice that in your train in your racing and look to maintain that. And you probably won't be able to do much better than that in your racing in terms of fueling. So if you know your fueling strategy, then I'm not sure you need an app to tell you that you've done that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it makes perfect sense. It's, it's, yeah, it's. Uh, I suppose it's, it's their their marketing is going to be trying to force it upon you that this is the next big thing, and all the pros are going to be using it. But ultimately, it's like at an amateur level, does it matter, or is the, the panicking going to make things worse? And it's very yeah, and I think the data YouTube... on it's... Oh, sorry, Alex, you carry on. As I say, I think the data and its use is quite in, in its, it would appear from the marketing and the research side of thing that it's quite in its infancy at the minute. So, you know, I'm not going to say and completely rule it off at the minute, but from, you know, my understanding of it at the minute, I'm not sure it would give as much practical kind of actionable information for a strategy currently. So, you know, that might change and I'll change my view based on evidence that comes in and, you know, seeing some real life case scenarios and seeing it's, you know, true application, you know, you've just because you can collect the data, what useful information can you take from it? 
you know that's kind of the next step really i think and you can't help but feel that if you're the kind of rider that's considering buying it and like you say it's quite expensive you'd think that let's say you're riding 10 12 15 20 hours you're probably going to know your body well enough to think to know if you're doing a six hour ride or five hour ride once a week twice a week you're probably going to learn fairly quickly right i bonk if i don't have at least this amount of carbs or don't eat this much and okay i feel a bit sick if i have this much this many gels or seven bananas you know so i that's why i was questioning it because i just felt like it's kind of like kind of your ability there like it's just a bit too much you don't need it i understand with the whoop band you can't you don't necessarily sometimes you don't you feel okay but uh, but actually you take the rest day but <laughs> i feel like with that it's maybe a step too far but that's just my point of view yeah yeah and i think it is it's always good to question what's currently out there and it's interesting to see how kind of sports science is changing. And ultimately I think, you know, for two sensors and a subscription, it's about 130 euros. And personally, I think you'd be better off spending that on a coach. I think they'd be able to give you more, you know, obviously this is a push for train shop, but ultimately I think you'd have a better chance of growing, developing and that continuous development, improving and having someone to bounce ideas, use that experience that that individual, that, that team that we have will be far more beneficial than, you know, two sensors per se, in my opinion, that is. I think it's like, yeah, if you're Jumbo Visma or Ineos, you've pretty much covered everything you can. And when something like that comes along, great, let's try that and see what else we can get. But, you know, for 99.9% of people, that is not the final, the final needed smoking, smoking gun to uh, solve all your problems, is it? There's, there's plenty other low hanging fruit that you can go for long before you get to checking your glucose levels. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, ultimately, if you wanted to have a little experiment, you could literally buy a glucose kit off Amazon, you know, take the finger pricks, um, you know, and the sensors yourself, put them in a sharps bin, and you can probably do it all for less than £25 and have about 50 strips. Yeah. So if you're really interested on your pre-race meal, yeah, if you're really interested in your pre-race meal, then you could get that. I mean, there's, you know, there's questioning on the validity in terms of how old the strips are, in terms of the accuracy that they're reporting, you know, a new new sensor, because they will last for 14 days on your back of your arm. They're generally told to put in, you know, you can knock them, you know, whether or not they give reliable readings, because obviously there's, you know, there might be a 10% error in them. Again, I'm not, I've, I've got three papers, literally, I'm looking at them to go through at some point, just to have a look at actually how accurate are they ultimately? You know, it's when like new power meters come onto the market, just because they say the measuring power term validity, are they actually measuring what they are meant to? You know, with SRM, it's gold standards, no question, and that sort of that. You know, you've got your standard eight strain gauges, 20 strain gauges, or do you trust this new thing that's come on and you can take it at home and put it together yourself, which has got two? You know, or have you just got a random number generator? It's all understanding actually where is your data coming from? Can you trust it? You know, and actually then that's where the important thing of understanding what data capturing device you have is then when you look, think you've improved are you sure that you have improved what's the technical error in that you know if you know if it's 10 percent and you've improved you know let's say you've got a threshold of 300 watts you've improved you've improved by and let's say five percent so you're up to what 315 and actually there's a technical error of 10 percent. you don't know if you've improved or not you can't be confident that improvement is down to you or error within within that device and that's you know coming on with many marketing things at the minute actually have a look at what what does the science say? And this is the team at Trainshop. You know, we've got two sports scientists, including myself, you know, up to master's level, research experience, et cetera, et cetera, that we can go through the papers and have an understanding of what they are all doing. You know, it's within test, retest, reliability. If we retest this, will it be the same within a couple of watts? The answer is yes. 
So it's not, you know, it's the world of sport being able to look through, look through the marketing. Yeah, and the marketing is getting better and better and more and more enticing. And you've got, you know, like the Whoop Band's a great example. You've got loads of big YouTubers who are using it and people can very easily get caught up in the whole whirlwind of, oh, I have to have that because these people are using it. And, you know, even if they say they're sponsored, they're still getting paid a lot of money to use that product. And you've got to, you've got to look at it um, with a sense of sort of understanding that whole process. Is, yeah, and is I think it's looking at big picture. Go on, go. Sorry, I'm gonna say it's all Whoop does HRV. Um, I believe it does. It does your heart rate variability. It will give you your sleep duration and a sleep quality score. I think so. It's and nothing. It put that, that any it put those other, all together. It's nothing. It's really it is. Heart rate variability is. Well, it, it does do. It does combine them all. It does combine them all and give you a recovery based score from that. Um, and it can help track it gives you a strain score as well for that day so what it does do it does take into account everything that you've done in that day so i have noticed that on rest days i'll try to keep a strain score low and this is where i think it is it can be useful but again if you understood what you're doing a little bit more then you probably wouldn't need this device to tell you so that's it can this isn't me saying you shouldn't use it or take any information from it it's just use it with a word of caution and actually how it's going to inform you you know so you might on your days you know your actual rest days you might discover because you're doing stuff on your feet that actually your strain is still relatively moderate so it'll give you a strain score from i think zero to 20 you know 20 being max heart rate all day long race days are typically like 18 19 you know a moderate training session might be like 14 plus i think um so it might give you an idea that actually, you know, that, that two hour walk, washing the car, sawing out the lawn, suddenly you've got a strain score of 14. You might think, actually, maybe that isn't quite a rest day. So it might make you think a little bit more. But then that comes back to life. You know, you probably have the car to clean the lawn to cut, you know, and want to go out for a walk. So it's just, it just gives you a big idea of that's maybe why you then the next day you're not feeling as good as you might have thought, even though you've been, oh, I've had a rest day. But actually, it just makes you more aware of all the other things that can influence your feeling the next day. Because ultimately, you know, say, you know, if you train 14 hours a week, that's on average, what, two hours a day, you know, there's still 22 hours left in that day. That can have a big impact on how you're feeling the next day. So it just makes you a bit more aware, shall we say. So I suppose moving on last week, was it last week? Week before, blimey. <laughs> a couple of weeks back, we spoke a lot about, uh, or a little bit, we touched on, what was it? I can't even remember now. I can't find the question. I'm just reading a blank page. Critical. <laughs> oh, critical power. That was it. So we touched on the critical power and how it's going to take over kind of from other uh, that's, that's my personal view, yes. <laughs> yes, personal view. So we thought we'd kind of have a look back at it and kind of delve a little deeper into your thoughts about it and why you think it's going to take over and what people should be looking at. Well... <sighs> Again, this is just one of the areas which I've got quite a keen interest into. Um, my master's dissertation was looking at um, the recovery of W prime, which is an infinite amount of work that can be done above critical power. And it's just a good idea to give a power profiling from a rider, in my personal view, especially if you're moving away from traditional lab-based testing. I think it's just a nice and easy way. It's not inflated by the things as long as you've done a true maximal effort we know that it does give a valid representation of critical power um, which is meant to represent that boundary between heavy and severe intensity domain it's slightly different from functional threshold power but again there's so many different things in the world that's there 
physiology of power is a bit of a black box. And that many people are very hung up on absolutely defining it to the T. And at the end of the day, it's meant to be a way to assess kind of performance and assess how well the athlete's responding to training and, and then being able to prescribe the appropriate response in terms of training direction. So providing it gives all that information and you can retest it and, and again and throughout a season and understand that it is it is useful to that athlete and it is representative of their improvements. I think it's a great tool. So I'm going to kind of leave on that because I think, you know, it can start to kind of create a bit of not not anger, but it's just different. Um, but ultimately, everything here is still trying to a- is aiming towards the same thing. I just like it from the research point of view, as it does have kind of clear physiological boundaries which happen in between. You know, just because you might use critical power or twenty minute FTP, actually no, 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 I'm not going to say that word. Twenty minute FTP. You know, it's about just understanding the athlete and can we paint a good picture? I'd always prefer if we can do, you know, lab based testing and based testing and use them together. Um, to give a good understanding but part of that as well is me being able to meet the athlete and you get to understand that drive because it's something that testing doesn't measure and this is kind of why on our inspire talent program we always have the riders cover meters you know when when covid allows essentially as well because i want to understand what drives that athlete are they self-sufficient you know it can be simple things are you the athlete that makes your bed in the morning or not you know, do you actually look at those little details or do you just leave it a little bit of a mess? You know, are you disciplined? Are you self-reliant? Do you understand that, you know, you're probably going to fail loads more than you can succeed, but do you take that and drive it? You know, do you understand that actually it's not failure, it's a learning opportunity that allows you to get better, get stronger and understanding that actually every time, you know, you might not do it as well, that's an opportunity to learn. And bike racing, there's so many different scenarios that can happen. You know, some things will simply not go your way. And being able to understand that, you can't get that from a test. And this is where we really drive and look to establish that coach-athlete relationship. Ergometer can't measure how much you want it. But, you know, meeting that individual, you can get a good sense of that. That's why we do both our lab-based testing and field-based testing. You know, I want you to go up our hill climb. So, Phil, we use Phil Beacon. Um, it's just off the South Downs. So, it finishes across the South Downs way. Um, we get our rider to go literally as fast as they can, you know, how do they attack it? Do they go absolutely, you know, out the saddle? Do they drive it? Or do they actually just kind of, oh, no, my speaker's just died. Oh, no. No, it means I get feedback. Hmm. I was about to say, are they sort of like looking for excuses the whole time or are they uh, really it just depends. On it? I just want to see someone that can just ride the bike hard, you know, just flat out attack it you know have some spirit in them you know those fantastic attacks you see in bike racing do they just you can see that passion and that drive or do they just not you know it's 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 a hard thing and you know can you get a nice conversation now that athlete are they are they polite are they well spoken you know because things that you might not think about as you kind of move through the under 23 professional ranks into kind of you know conti pro conti world tour there's gonna be a lot of support staff as well do you treat them well you know, do you give them the respect that they absolutely deserve? Because, you know, obviously the forefront of cycling might only just see the stars, but so much that goes on in the background as a team, coaches, 20s, all those people will have a big impact and they're there to do a job. And are you, you know, going to make that team connection, that team vibe easy? And that's, you know, what the S's will often, you know, look for, you know, is this rider going to fit? Are they going to gel? Are they going to work with the team? When you're told to go on that front and drive it, are you going to go and do as you're told? You know, it's, you know, we we can see it when, a, you know, there's a particular 
um, year in the Tour de France where, you know, it does happen, you know, and there is a bit, you know, there's a bit of conflict and it can create a bit of a, an area which people don't quite, it's not as comfortable. So that's kind of, you know, I know I, I, sorry, the guy Movistar on that documentary where he turns around, it was at Solaire where he turns around and flaps his arm in anger that he has to wait for Quintana. Yes. Yes, yes, he's out on the break, wasn't he? (laughs) Yeah. He was just like publicly just being like, nah, this is this is crap. <laughs> yeah, not very professional. Bullshit. <laughs> you know, and this is I know I've moved away from the point of critical power, but I think it looks at the p- bigger picture ultimately is, you know, what are you trying to do with that athlete? And it's it's just one of the tools that we have, you know, and I might think, you know, it's got its pros, its cons as such, but ultimately it's trying to understand that athlete as best you can and really get to understand their physiology. And then obviously having to fully meet them as well. Is that where that coach-athlete relationship really comes value? And it's no, isn't where no app can replace having that someone there. You're worried before a race or you're a bit unsure this training session that you should be feeling like this. Or, you know, some on a day where it just simply hasn't gone well for you and you need a pick-me-up. You need someone to talk through why it's gone, why it's gone and what we can do better. You know, and it's that's, you can't replace a coach that does that. Damn right. And that's quite a good quite a good place to finish episode two, really. I think we're about an hour. And uh, well, I, we finish these and I always have like nine other questions from the questions that we get and the answers you give, Alex, which is a good sign because hopefully you'll run down. We should do a quick fire round. Let, let's try and like hit a couple of questions, less than 60 seconds for each question yeah. see, and see how quick I can go for them. <laughs> We've got to stop you talking. That's the problem. I've got a quick one. I've got a quick <laughs> it depends. one for you, Alex. Here we go. Here's, go here's the quick fire one that I wrote down. So you personally can do three yes. sessions a week for the rest of your life and you're still going to race and do all the, all the things you would be doing. What are the three yep. sessions a week you're going to do? Oh, so I've got as much, do I have as much time as I want? Uh, you've got two evenings and then you've got a ride at the weekend. Long ride at the weekend. Definitely like four hours plus. Um, two sessions during the week then i'll probably do some like 320s or 230s um you know kind of like tempo sweet spot extending those out and then probably maybe i'd vary it either like a micro burst over under sort of session like um like 15 on 15 off i think yeah that's what if i could do three sessions forever that's what i do job done bit of variety like it yeah definitely <laughs> so you got endurance you, you kind of um i'll do the micro bursts that's how they sound fun. Um, <laughs> I'll do a skills session uh, add twice a week. And a research YouTube session. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we'll come think- up some quick fire, quick fire round for next week. We'll get some people to send yeah, in I- some more questions. Yeah, I definitely think some like quick, some quick fire questions as well. I think that'd be quite good. You know what? What can uh, I think we might we, we might have find. to do one, Alex, about your uh, your youth career. Yeah, that definitely. I want to hear about all these tracks and courses that you've ridden. Yeah, right. That sounds good to me. I can, I can yeah, it's, I've got some fun stories, plenty of crashes, <laughs> plenty of ups and downs, and I think I think it relate quite nicely to a lot of up and coming youth, juniors, and just seeing how my journey in the sport has evolved, and you know how it's led me to where I am, how it's made me the person I am today as well, and just understanding that sport you will fail a lot and sometimes you'll succeed as well and that's those are the days that we strive for you know those wins whatever whether it's a preston park win it's 
sprints you know your like a cafe sprint you know to get to that line first because you don't want to wait 20 minutes for your flat white you know it's it's exciting sometimes isn't it right bike racing. i think that's what it is a win is a win you know you've got to be in it to win it and i think you know no matter what you know that's what i love about the sport it can bring so many people together um from all different backgrounds all different abilities and then you can have a good laugh on the bike and enjoy it absolutely um what's your sure. favorite flavor mm. sis gel <laughs> Uh, I, I i am a bit of a talk brand here i you know i was oh, on the course. team for five you've got to, so you've got i'm to gonna say stra- strawberry yogurt i yeah i'll Ooh. give a little shout out to marcus at talk it is you know who sorts out the ambassador program um hey, strawberry yogurt is my absolute... this podcast they're more than welcome to <laughs> <laughs> strawberry strawberry yogurt would be my absolute favorite i could eat those like anything strawberry you yogurt, ever have the um, the adnams talk gel did you ever get loads I of them the racist i i got we got a special box of those before, pre-production i think we did they were fantastic oh. and the keg we yes. had that at one of the 2412 so we had i think a couple of kegs of those um because they even blend they roast their own coffee beans as well with their caramel latte gels oh very nice yeah and so if anyone didn't know gels. they it was um adnam's brewery did a, a ghost ship gel as a little oh. special edition <laughs> with talk and it and it was weird it was like a beer gel but it was sort of like the the bit you don't like of beer. Was oh, it? I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> I really like them. I only had one at a trade show, to be fair, which wasn't really the time. He's got to defend them but... now, Sam. You, you're putting them in the corner here. <laughs> no, no, terrible idea. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, th- thanks very much again, Alex. And we'll do this again in a, a week or a couple of weeks' time because I'm yeah, it's really good fun. Yeah, no problem at all. Again, if anyone that's listening does have any questions, I'm sure you can fire questions to you guys or hit me yeah. up on my Instagram as well. Um, just ask away. We'll try and get as many answered or if there's particular topics. I'm sure we all can kind of arrange something and talk things, all things cycling. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about some more skill stuff, like about um, maybe look into echelons and, you know, some tactics on the bike and things like that. I think certainly younger riders and stuff coming into the sport and newer riders would uh, would enjoy that absolutely there's even a couple of research papers on there as well on echelons oh nice believe it or not Let's i think someone i saw last on night on twitter the aerodynamics of a cow oh, nice. right. i have had too much internet for one day i think yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure damingham would have been you know tweaking things around trying to get that cow as aero as possible putting him in a pop helmet <laughs> <laughs> that'd be the fastest cow ever <laughs> <laughs> right on that note cheers boys and we'll see you soon alright then guys thank, thank you very bye. much bye. see you next week read the minutes and understand them